from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. I don't see it. There it is. Uh, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. It yeah, no, it, it, of course, it's uh, as soon as Dave starts to record, I am about to sneeze. So, yes. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> okay. So Good gravy. And I had my hands covering my mouth really hard. Wow, sir. I have I have huge lungs. Anyhow, okay. Here we are, everyone. How's everyone doing this week? Doing good. Doing good. The All me right. part of everyone is doing well. Good, good. I'm not too shabby myself. It's been so rainy and really nice and chilly and good tea weather or good chilly weather even. But... <laughs> Chili and tea. Yeah, yeah. I had to put on like pants and 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 shoes. I mean, I was wearing shorts and sandals. Not saying I was just w- Donald ducking it around the house or anything, but you know. <laughs> but you're not, not saying that, right? No, no, no. I am. I, I am saying I was not Donald ducking it oh, around the okay. house. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm pretty much a never nude, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> a never nude. But yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 been nice. It's been it's been really kind of cloudy last weekend. It was so hot, and then as soon as the weekend was over, it got cloudy and rainy, and it was so nice. I had a really good weekend last week at the Vancouver Wine and Jazz Festival, Estershore Park. It was really really nice. Uh, got to see a lot of cool music, and sold a bunch of cool little dragon plasticky guys. Yeah, uh, Dave. Uh, how's how's everything out on the farm? Farmy. Oh, cool. Glad Farmy. to hear so, that. So, so if this is inappropriate, you can edit it out. I never do. But we had kind of a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's sort of an unusual situation. Okay. We had a goat who had never given birth, and who had never been mated, start milking. Oh. Okay. Which it, it happens once in a while on animals. It happens once in a while on goats, but it's never happened at this farm. Okay. And it just so if a goat has ever given birth or or milked, then their udder just it swells up like a bag. You can always tell if a goat's ever had a child. Okay. And then all of a sudden, this goat just filled up with milk without any 
um, without ever having a baby, and we've sent it to a lab. But you know, like I said, it happens. It's just yeah. rare, and it, nobody here has ever seen it happen. But we've heard of it. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Huh. I wonder why. Gnomes. <laughs> I, I just assume it's like that whole like um sometimes mimicry and like animals do and for Pac-Man town. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I can pretend. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's just conditions that make that happen that the body you know the goat's body thinks happen. Maybe next week I will give you a guy's scientific uh explanation but or it could be like that, that movie black sheep right where like wasn't that where like the horror isn't that the one where the sheep are infected with like the zombie virus or something like that i missed that one you guys yeah. haven't seen that oh, oh no. goodness. <laughs> that's the one with chris farley and david spade right no 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 it's like um, <laughs> it's an australian horror film or, or like new zealand horror film i almost want to uh-huh. think it was a jackson film uh-huh. Hang on, let me look it up. Let's see. Right. Goats or sheep zombies. Mm-hmm. We're doing oh, this for time. That might give me nightmares. Black Sheep 2006. You can watch it on Tubi. All right. It is a New Zealand film directed by Jonathan King. And basically, um, they are genetically altered sheep that prey on humans and turn their victims into the undead woolly killers. Sheer madness ensues. Whoa, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty. And sheer is spelled (laughs) S-H-E-A-R. Okay. All right. Hey, Gretchen, what have you been up to this week? Anything fun? This last week? No, I had a service. But other than that, I um, did not do anything. I was pretty much just kind of like, let me just be down for the count it's my down weekend okay this well, that's coming good weekend, for you i've got a bunch of stuff going on like um going to that halloween swamp meet at oaks amusement park and then, oh wow uh there's uh an art show tomorrow evening uh at the nucleus gallery um mm. it's a japanese artist kira Emire. Emire Emire. very She's, cool yeah she's like a lolita artist so my little mm. community getting together dress it up nice oh, that's cool yeah very very cool all right so this week we're talking about two groups of people that uh that 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 like to consume other parts of other people <laughs> yeah with, yeah with, i mean that's with, probably much the only like i feel like there's the only crossover there oh yeah oh yeah um Let's see. What else? Uh, Dave, do we have a middle part this week? Yes, we are interviewing author who does uh, primarily Western horror, but a few other things. And his name is C. Derek Miller. Oh, cool. Very cool. All right. Nice. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about the Chocho in the first part. And the second part, we're talking about 1983's the Hunger, not Hunger, not The Hunger Games, uh, which uh, my, my my TV kept wanting me to watch those. And I'm like, no, I want to watch this one. And they're like, hey, did you know about these movies? And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't care about Katniss ever shoot or whatever. I don't I, I, I do want to see Hunger. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, the hunger. <laughs> we'll be talking about that after the interview. And yeah, and and I I'm guessing that this is a, a Gretchen pick. Oh yeah. 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 Everything about this movie says, "Hey, this is a movie Gretchen really liked when she was either." really young or she discovered it and went recently and went this is my jam <laughs> i was really young <laughs> all right okay cool cool all right so <sighs> okay now we got to talk about the chocho the chocho uh yeah, I, I mean it's the Chocho. They're they're uh, near human, uh, Asian-looking people that are short in stature, bright red skin. Uh, creation of uh, August Derleth and Mark Shore. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Dave, what 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 do we know about the Chocho? <laughs> So, in a lot of ways, this wasn't an easy one for me, and I think it made it more difficult. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with with the cool part. Okay. And that is the lair of the star spawn. Okay. I like this story. Yeah. It is like one of my favorite Daryllus stories. Uh huh. Although the more I read it. It doesn't hold up. Not, I mean, it's not one of those stories. The more I read it, the more I like it. Yeah. Um, and it also includes at the ending the Star Warriors, which basically look like um, an electrified version of the Carl's Jr. Um, logo, star logo with eyes and stuff, and they ride cigar-shaped space motorcycles. Oh. That is both the coolest and silliest thing in the entire mythos. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's definitely a good versus evil story. Interesting. And so this is where we get the introduction to the 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 Chochos. Mm-hmm. And so and it's like I said, it's a good, solid story, you know. Yeah. Why, you know, you, you got one Cthulhu stuck under an island. Well, I got two baby Cthulhu's stuck under ruins. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And the Churchill sort of they change as the stories go on. Sure. And but this this version, they are basically. I'm pretty sure they are Burmese. They, mm-hmm. they, this takes place in Burma. And a lot of I problems that I ha- it would be an amazing story if it was created in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But it comes from a time in the pulp culture where it is full of yellow peril tropes. Yes. And that really does kind of bring down the story to me. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. Derelith, credit where Derelith goes. You know, there is a strong, powerful, brilliant um, 
Chinese character here mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. story. Um, so, so not all. It's not. It's not Fu Manchu. Yeah. It's not even say Howard Skullface, which I love in a story, but it's got some offensive things in it. Mm-hmm. But it it comes from and played into a a pulp tradition of yellow pear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to say it's like this is one of the instances where something's taken from a book, turned into an RPG, and is just like progressively made kind of ickier and blah, the further on it goes. Like a lot of the times it's like things get more life breathed into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get more details. You find out what its name is or like, you know, the gaming company gives it a name. But I feel like the more and more Chochos have been introduced, uh, except for within like the last 10 years, uh, last five years, uh, have it's it's been this yellow peril kind of like, well, we're just doing it because we're emulating the the uh, the, the the pulp books from back then. Blech. It's Not okay. Acceptable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. The gaming uh, industry's changed, thankfully, but yeah, and yeah. I, and I I don't I'm so I don't think it's wrong to have an Asian villain. Nope, necessarily. No, fact, not necessarily. I have a friend, and and she tells me that her her feminist awakening came reading the best feminist book ever was Gone Girl. Okay. And I go, what? And she goes. Because the main character is a female asshole. Not a C word, not a B word. She said that character was an evil, terrible, rotten person who just happened to be female. Yeah. So, yes, if written, you can have good African-American, good Asian, whatever type of villains. Mm-hmm. But they're not, again... They're not in the vacuum. This to me feels like, okay, remember when people were first introduced to the idea of like, for lack of a better term, like pygmy cannibals and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel like these creatures are like kind of based off of. Yeah. Like the, the fear of the, Oh, those, those tribal people will be cannibalistic and consume me. And like, um, my poor white savior skin. I don't yeah. know. I just, I just hate it. Like I tried reading some into this and I'm just, I kind of stepped away and I figure I'll let you guys take the lean on this because you know more about it and know more about like where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know how August Derelith is. I'm sorry. I just discovered who they are like yeah. through this. <laughs> yeah. Because to me, like, this is such a great departure of, like, actual Cthulhu mythos. Like, I feel like these guys aren't even, like, they don't even have the vibe or the, or any kind of that. I mean, like, even if they're supposed to be kind of like the men of Lang and the Dreamlands, I don't think, I don't even see that either. Because to me, that's just like, we're just, we're just lumping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, and, and believe me. I put my lumps on Derelict. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I have no problem calling Augie out 
Now, oh, what yeah. he did do, and we'll give credit to credit, he's the one who created Arkham House. Mm-hmm. He's the mm-hmm. one that saved oh, all that... the Lovecraft stories. Yeah. Okay. But but yeah, someday we'll go off, and I I I, I say my things about about Daryl, so, you know. Yeah. But at least in you know Star Spawn, I think he just wanted to write an adventure story. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, and, and the 1930s Burma was as good as any place. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, and I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah. A lot of what comes though afterwards, uh, you may want to, you may want to edit this out because yeah. I want to make a lot of people angry. And I love this. I absolutely love it. But it comes from Delta Green. Yeah. I know what that is. So it's a RPG. Okay. So it, it's basically Cthulhu meets the X Files. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the and reason I, anyone knows who Scott Glancy is. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but. Scott was a major contributor, and and Scott, I'm not putting you down in any way, because um, I don't know how much of the Chocho and so stuff like the the Chocho's DNA changes by what they eat. Yeah. You know, so. That's not a bad concept. We see that. No, that's not a bad concept at all. I like the idea of that, to be honest. Like, that's kind of like a X-Files kind of vibe to it. Yeah, (laughs) more in Delta Green, they're more related to, like, frog people than humans. They're they're, they're almost like like a... Yeah. The the Mere Nergi. Yes. Which is an alien race. Mm -hmm. Mm So a lot, a lot of where the Chochos became are going to come out of um, D20, the D2, uh, the D20 Cthulhu has an entire chapter where, you know, it says stuff that I've never seen anything else. Like the Chocho people wear bowl cuts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, I love Delta green. I think Delta green is, uh, it is. It's X Files meets the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm, but and and the Chocho are important because they're part of the Vietnam War, and that's where Delta Green, the secret government organization, gets exposed because they basically try to eliminate the Chocho people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and, and like I said, I know that several. I don't want to offend people who I like and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used I've used Chochos in stories. Sure. But uh, you know, T E D Klein uses them in stories. I mean, I love Black Man with a horn. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just hard for me to sometimes separate what they are. Sure. Yeah, it's sure. hard to separate the artist from the art. I mean, we see this in many different scenarios. It's hard. I get yeah. it. But apparently, the human ganglia tastes like artichokes with hot peppers. <laughs> That's what I read about this, their delicacy, the white pork sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, the other white pork. <laughs> that was from... Delta Green, or if that came from D20. Oh, I, I believe the Ganglia stuff came from uh, Delta Green. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just love that, that little quip. I was like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean we're going to taste like a thing. We taste like artichokes with hot peppers. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's definitely from my, uh, the Delta Green book, which also has like the Chocho infiltrating like Toronto and Chicago. And uh, they're, they're, they're like set up doing a lot of like drug running and prostitution and just like organized crime. And it's like, okay, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this interpretation either. <laughs> yeah. I love Delta Green and I respect yeah. wrote it. Maybe or maybe not a path I would have taken. No, no. And people are going to say, well, it was in the 90s. And I'm like, yeah, but it still doesn't make it cool. Yeah. So, you know where else the Chocho are seen? Where? In Marvel. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're They've in, They're in, I think it's the Tomb of Dracula, Varney, which is, you know, Varney, like the original vampire story. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah. he appears in the Tomb of Dracula. And he says that the Chochos worshipped him as Zafagwa. Okay. And and I like I said I love I doubt Roy Thomas had anything to do with this but I love that seventies eighties Roy Thomas side of non superhero Marvel. Yeah, it's fun stuff. It is fun stuff. All right. That's uh, all I got on the Chochos, my friend. <laughs> hey, I think I'm running out of stuff too. <laughs> But yeah, they don't have Cthulhu. They have Zar and Ligor, which we've discussed on the show a few times in the past, and we'll probably discuss again. Which are but, probably Cthulhu's children. Yeah. And Say what? Yeah. Yo, Cthulhu is a player, man. He's mm -hmm. got like man. He's no. like Zeus. What the heck? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, the Chocho... Uh, you know, if you want to write a story, don't give them a dumb racist backstory. Don't make them uh, kind of like a stand-in for an actual racial group. I mean, they're it's the Chocho. monster, Jesus. Yeah, Why did I have a race? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, maybe Durleth was trying to copy Lovecraft's racism as well. <laughs> so, so uh, possibly. And the fact that the, um, oh, you know, the, the, the pictures uh, in the original amazing stories of the Chinese dollar make him look like Fu Manchu. Ooh. I don't really think that this was, I think that the, I think Daryl was just basically writing the equivalent of an Indiana Jones story. Yeah. And he just made these sort of very generic tribal people. Okay. And then, and, and, and like I said, I have no problems. I don't pull punches on Daryl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't, I think that a lot of what came out was after yeah yeah all right well that's the chocho <laughs> moving on hey, oh, hey wait what what how do they get from one place to another uh they row row on the chocho train 
Oh. Send <laughs> okay. your hate letters. I care to. Yeah, yeah. PGTTCM at gmail.com. Send us, uh, send us uh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> Not anything. Don't send us. Well, I'm the one who's who looks at it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was it wasn't. And I yeah, was, so don't say anything awful because yeah. DB's looking. And I have to correct myself. Uh, Lair of the Sarthfon was not published in Amazing Tales. It was Weird Tales. Oh, oh. okay, all right. It's okay, David. I've said many things wrong. Like my first episode was like, I talk, I kept trying to say City. I kept saying City of the Dead, and it's not the movie I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, up next, Dave's got an interview, and then after that, we are talking about 1983, The Hunger, uh, and we'll see after the break. Right. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook, we're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, we're on Twitter, I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed. If you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. And a place. This is James Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. So this is the time of the show where I talk to somebody whose name is not Gretchen and not DB. In fact, I am talking to Derek Miller today. Uh, Derek, welcome to the show. What is going on? How you doing? Well, well. Hey, maybe uh, you can introduce yourself a little bit to, uh, to our audience. Certainly, I am author C. Derek Miller. I uh, I am most known for a little jewel out there, known as or formerly known as Splatter Western Number Five. Uh, it is just going to be called Starving Zoe from here on out. Death's Head mm -hmm. Press was uh, 
I guess, I think, purchased and, and uh, taken over by uh, Dead Sky Media, I think. So so uh, Starving Zoe and the other Splatter Westerns are about to be available to retailers for the first time. So that's, uh, that's yeah, that's going to be pretty cool, man. That that publishing company looks like they're going to go somewhere. So um, well, awesome. I'm glad to have been a part of it from the very beginning. Uh, also known for... Uh, uh, some books, other books, uh, like fiction, uh, like werewolf fiction, uh, this, the Taste of Home trilogy, Extinguished. Uh, I'm a half-assed poet from time to time. Aren't we all? <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much me as far as uh, the uh, indie horror world is concerned. So, so this whole, this whole time, I couldn't help but thinking how much cooler Lou Bega would have been if he had changed Mambo number five into Starving Zoe. <laughs> so oh, I'm my God, man. I'm glad he didn't, so I can leave it to, to you. Is, is, that, is, that, is that song a jam or what? I don't rem- I, I remember it. Uh, I think it was like, we're talking late 90s, so I was in the Army, and... Um, I, I think that was that was all we you had in the army. Pretty much was like, yeah. like pop music. So yeah, um, yeah, I was man. Mambo number five was that? Yeah. It was right about the time Ricky Martin hit the scene too. Wow, probably. Probably. I don't remember make, anything else. You're making me feel old, man. So so you, you talk a little bit about what you're you're right, but. But tell us more a little bit about your writing and uh, your writing styles and uh, your genres. Well, uh, I started out writing uh, about the paranormal when I when I first did it. My my very first couple of books were about the paranormal, really big into paranormal investigation, and uh, it was kind of everything was based off of the journals I was keeping from all the investigations we were doing, and uh, we're talking. We're talking way, way back in the days of MySpace. And, uh, you know, I would kind of, I would write blogs on MySpace. And there was a lot of people that were like, man, you should really, you should publish this stuff. And I'm like, hmm. So I did a couple of those. And then I uh, took the jump to fiction. I'm like, well, let's see what that's like. You know, I, I was always a big fan of like Hunter S. Thompson and his gonzo style and, that's kind of why I've adopted that word into everything I do and everything I am. And, uh, and that's the way my ghost hunters journals were, where they were really mm. gonzo style. Okay. But I, I, I had written short story fiction for no one. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to, since, you know, I've got, I've already got two books published. Uh, let's see what fiction is like. So I, uh, took one of my old short stories and fleshed it out into a novel and spent about six months working on it. And, uh, people liked it. I'm like, Oh crap. You know, and they're like, but where's the sequel? And I'm like, you know, you're right. So, you know, I wrote the sequel and then I just, uh, I got picked up by a literary agency in, uh, late 2015 in London. And, uh, they introduced me to quite a few people and I started working in anthologies uh, then I hooked up with like uh, Patrick Harrison the third, Jared Barbie started to do the whole splatterpunk thing, mm. and um, 
Now I'm not quite sure what I am, man. I know there's a lot of people that consider to me to like consider my genre to be like Western horror. Cause I think I've done, I've done a novella and three short stories now in the past few years that are all Western horror themed. And now I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to start releasing a novella series that is also Western horror. So I really don't like labels. I'm not a big fan of labels. I, yeah. I you know, I'd like to try some sci-fi or something like that, but it, it looks like I'm going to be the, the horror wet or one of the horror Western guys for a little while. Anyway, and I'm fascinated by, and I'm fascinated by that. You know, I, I live in Oregon now, but I grew up in California. So, you know, you're in Texas. We, we grew up in the West or the history right. of the West and love horror. So how do you maybe, how do you combine the two? What are some, some things that maybe allow you to pull it together? You know, that, that was a question I had. Um, I, I had never in my life thought about writing a Western, but nor had I ever thought about writing splatterpunk either. I was just mm -hmm. doing it because the cool kids were doing it. And come to find out, I may or may not have a knack for it, depending on who you talk to. Cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but the splatter Western, I'm like, how, you know, how am I going to mix these two? And I just... I remember I uh, I get out and I take walks in the morning around the park sometimes and I'm just racking my brain for days on how I'm going to do this and uh, I had recently read Catcher in the Rye for the very first time okay and hated it hated it and then I read it again and I loved it but uh, J D Salinger his narration style for yeah. Catcher in the Rye I was like. I really want to do a horror book like that. And that was when I got contracted for the horror Western. So I'm like, well, guess what the horror Western's going to be. So I, uh, I wrote starving Zoe from a very, very deranged place. Um, like put, put myself back in the mindset of someone from 1865 and then just, just pulled out all the stops, mm. you know, uh, and, and just, just when I thought it was like pushing the edge, sometimes my wife, who is my partner in everything I do and my editor, uh, she would go back through and tell me to crank it up. And oh. so uh, I know uh, one of the things that uh, there's, there's a, there's a pretty popular reviewer in uh, the splatterpunk world by the name of Lisa Lee Tone. Oh. That's pretty, pretty well known. And uh, I want to say, I think it was four pages in, she told me that she threw up in her mouth reading Ooh. Starving Zoe. <laughs> so, and uh, she meant I, it as a compliment. And she did mean it as a compliment. Uh, it's, man, Starving Zoe is a mind job. I don't even know if you could call it a Western. It is, it's just, it's crazy. Because have you, have you ever read Catcher in the Rye? No, I have not. I. How old are How old are you? That's a better question. How old are I, you? I. So I'm in my fifties. Okay, then if you've never read it, don't do it now. Yeah. Because you're you're just gonna think that Holden Caulfield is whiny, you know, and uh, you know, 
he's got a lot of first world problems, things like that. Um, it, I, I, I still think I hate Catcher in the Ride to this day, but I just love the narration yeah. style. Yeah. So what what J.D. Salinger did is uh, Holden Caulfield, the main character in Catcher in the Ride, like this entire story is told through his eyes, through through the random crazy thoughts going through his brain. Like he he speaks out loud through the whole thing. Yeah. And that's what I did with Robert Jack and Starving Zoe is I, I made the guy a nutcase. But it needed to be as authentic of a nutcase as possible. And, well, and, and I have to say, and it sounds like you may have done this, one of my favorite tropes is the unreliable narrator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, there's no hero in Starving Zoe. Okay. It's just whoever is the least villainous okay. is who you can consider the hero. It's very much like real life. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, no, fascinating. And and one of the things, and you may have not heard it, and DB may have edited it out, but one of the charms in this show is that we actually record on a working farm. So I don't know, but Ralph the Rooster was just really getting into what you were saying and agreeing with it. I don't know if Ralph made it onto the... <laughs> Uh, the microphone, but he was definitely uh, talking along with you. <laughs> so other than, say, uh, J.D. Salinger and, and, of course, Westerns in general, and you, you right. mentioned a little bit about your your paranormal experiences. What are other influences on, you, on your writing? Uh, I would say, well, uh, Hunter S. Thompson is a okay. big influence. Uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, okay. I love Kevin, love Kevin Smith. I love his just intelligent, rambling, but you know, wordy dialogue. Um, I, uh, I think I, I took a lot of influence in like, especially with the conversations that two different characters will have in my books. It, it always comes back to clerks. It just, in, in my head, one of those, one of those characters is Dante and the other character is is Randall, and that's just that's how my conversations go in my in my books. And I, I owe all that to Kevin Smith. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else out there in uh, Goodreads lands that are like going, "Yeah, thank God for Kevin Smith," but I'm gonna say it. Thank God for Kevin Smith. Um, yeah. And uh, Del James, the okay. uh, the very first. Um, the very first time I read Del James is when I woke up and started writing my first serious short story. Mm. Del James is, uh, he's the tour manager for Guns N' Roses. And uh, I had uh, been looking for a short story of his for like 15 or so years. It was, uh, it was uh, the story that the uh, November Rain music video was uh, made out. Okay. And I always wanted to read that that short story. It was called Without You. And um you know, this is pre-internet days and uh if if it wasn't in your library and your local bookstore didn't have it and you know, you you were screwed basically. And 
while I was away in the military, uh, my uncle had managed to find a copy of uh, Dell James short stories oh, at a okay. garage sale. Like it didn't even have a cover on it. It was so old and beat up, but it had that story in there. So after, uh, after reading that book, the book's called, you can get it now. It's, it flies off the shelf. Now it's called the language of fear. It's a uh, short story collection by Dell James. Okay. And, uh, he and he and Axel Rose were like best buddies. And uh, now he's their tour manager. But uh, he's done some stuff with Rob Zombie before. I think he, he even did some stuff with like WWF back in the day, uh, writing and things like that. But uh, that that book of short stories, uh, they it's all of the common theme is uh, Hollywood. And I had just I had just got out of the military. I moved out to L.A. Okay. And uh, then I came back. And uh, when I read that. I mean, the, the way he described, like, West Hollywood, just, it, it gave me flashbacks to living there. It was so accurate. And I'm like, you know, and he was just, he was so brutal and gory. And I'm like, my God, do you mean we can write like this? I had, I had no idea at that point that, I mean, you know, I've read Stephen King, you know, and then I read a lot of sci-fi growing up, okay. but I had never read anything extreme. So, uh, opened your eyes to the potential of splatterpunk. That yes, and even even like some of the uh, just just like uh, like dark fiction that I've written over the years. Just a lot of that comes from Del James, and I managed to get in touch with him. I guess back oh, in cool. the days of uh, MySpace and early days of Facebook, and um, I told him, "You're the reason I'm doing this." And, you know, we, we talked back and forth for a little while and he actually wrote the, uh, the intro to my second book. Oh, nice. I transferred over into, uh, one, my, my final ghost hunters, um, work, which is now off the market. All of that stuff is off the market. Mm. Um, I went through a divorce and, um, she was she was Lon Chaney Jr.'s great niece, okay. so the Wolfman's great niece, and that family has a lot of Hollywood connections, and um, they managed to slip in that he would get thirty percent of the royalties from everything I wrote while I was with her, wow. which was everything. So uh, rather than keep it on the market and uh, profit from it i just chose to take it all off the market yeah. but that's a thing kids um that is that is a thing even if even if you're not stephen king even if you're just an indie author who's struggling to make it uh, you whoever, whoever you're dating at the time or whoever you're married to at the time if they pull the right strings they can come back and get a chunk of uh your writing career and, and, and and it's terrible. I'm sorry it happened to you, but I'm yeah. so glad that you were able to reinvent yourself and start over. That that was it. I um, I reinvented myself. Um, started going under the uh, the pen name C. Derek Miller. Okay. And uh, yeah, so e everything that's out there right now that uh, is under my name is everything I've done since 2018. So 
Okay. Uh, the first 10 years of my writing career, I had to erase. Oh, wow. But yeah. these last five years have definitely been the winners. Um, it, Excellent. It's been, it's been fun. It's just oh, been great. So can I kind of ask, and, and there's no wrong answers here, but can I kind of ask you to look into your crystal ball? Where do you think horror and the Western genre is going to go? Well, you know, it's, I mean, Joe Lansdale did this stuff for years. Yes. Uh, long before uh, everyone went uh, like splatter Western crazy. So, I mean, it's it's been around. It was yeah. never anything I was personally interested in. So I didn't know much about it. Uh, I didn't even know that that it was really much of a genre before I got involved in that Splatter Western project with Death's Head Press. I mean, I had an uncle when I was a kid who had every Louis L'Amour book that had ever yeah. been published. And I know there was there was a lot of those that had like, you know, kind of like dark covers or maybe some horror elements. And yeah. so, I mean, this horror and western has been going on for i guess a really long time and it was just something i never even bothered to put together so but after after death's head uh did this they start the magpie coffin by wiley young is a damn masterpiece i mean first thing out the gate they get they get that so uh mm. yeah and they're and they're still going strong there's still new splatter westerns from uh it's not dead death's head press anymore it's dead sky media i think but uh there's there's new splatter westerns still coming out excellent so i i have a feeling and i'm sorry i interrupted you no 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 please go on i know i have a i have a feeling because there's a lot of uh like horror western and splatter western like anthologies that come out uh regularly as well so i mean it's i think it's it's here to stay um, that's, that's for sure. Um, I mean, maybe, uh, if Hollywood ever gets back to making movies, if they want to do the right thing, um, you know, maybe we can start doing that more with cinema because I would just love to see an explosion of horror Westerns. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of have a signature question that we ask everybody. And that is, if you could be in charge of any creative project you don't have to worry about copyrights you don't have to worry about money or medium what's your dream project uh i would like to do a star wars themed horror story okay um i know uh, as much as i despise rise of Sk uh, skywalker yeah. the uh the elements the darker elements of that movie with palpatine and the cloning and uh all, all of those scenes were fantastic. There's it's the right mood. Great yeah, mood. It just, yeah, it just, man, um, I don't know. I, I remembered I remembered Mark Hamill tweeting something about that a couple of years before that movie was released. And he's like, what does everybody think about Star Wars horror? And uh, I had, I'd been thinking about that idea since the very beginning. So if if I could get away with it, I don't I don't think it's ever gonna happen with the mouse, but I uh, I would love to write a uh, a horror project with yeah. like Star Wars characters and Force ghosts and and all of that. You know they've they've never I don't know how big of a Star Wars fan you are, but 
I don't That's they've never they've never really touched much on like Sith ghosts. So uh, yeah. you know, well, I mean, they would have to be evil, wouldn't they? So you know, maybe go that route and got a lot of lot of horror Star Wars ideas, but uh, there is no way that Lucasfilm would let that happen. <laughs> but that is my dream project. So pre-Disney, there's an extended universe book by I think it was Joe Schreiber, Death Troopers. Did you ever read that one? I didn't, man. I read a lot of the Timothy Zahn books, and I read a lot of the the anthologies like Tales from Jabba's Palace, and Tales of the Bounty Hunter, Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina. Um, which those would be great anthology shows. I can't believe they won't incorporate any of that into canon. But I I, I never read that one. Um, it, it's basically a zombie story. Oh, really? That there's there there's basically. I don't want to spoil it because major canon characters come up in the middle. Oh, the, the main character is like from a doctor from one of the video games, but she's on an Imperial spaceship and not quite zombie plague breaks out. Huh. And it, it, it's, it's, it's definite. And it's got a scary cover, like a bloody stormtrooper helmet on like a meat hook. And it's, and you said it's it's uh it's in legends, so it's uh, yeah it's, yeah yeah. Uh, Del Rey put it out like in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Oh God, okay. So, and I think he did another one where is it, it is it prequel era or is it uh original trilogy era? It's trilogy. So so some canon characters show up in the middle. Like I said, I don't okay. want to spoil it, but can, canon characters from the trilogy show up. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, man, I'm I'm gonna scope that out on my Kindle just as soon as we're done here. And and, it, and it's well enough written. I mean, great idea. Yeah. Delivery's good enough. I mean, uh, I think there was one I read also. Uh, um, we're talking back in the. Uh, I want to say this book was released between episodes one and two, and it was called Darth Maul Shadow Hunter. Oh. And it. It focused on, uh, I think, like, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon were kind of on, like, a little detective trip, and it was told from the point of view of Darth Maul and his uh, training with the Emperor and how the Emperor used to torture him and, mm. all, like, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, it, I'm not going to say it was uh, <clears throat> exceptionally well-written. It was... Uh, it was it was good, and I think I think it was a Del Rey as as well. I had the hardback. I bought it in an airport, um, but it it wasn't it wasn't too bad, and it it was a really dark um, Star Wars book. Okay, I know. I will definitely check that one out. Yeah, it. I can't remember. You know, the the uh, one of the only Star Wars authors I ever remember is Timothy Zahn, but yeah. I can't. But uh, yeah, that would um, that would be cool. That would that would be cool. And I, I actually uh, used to, used to do little side jobs for Lucasfilm with like art oh, projects yeah. and stuff like that. So just I never could. Um, man, I wouldn't even know who to talk to about pitching something like. This. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe uh, maybe I should just write it anyway and uh, see what happens. Absolutely. 
Now, um, and thank you and we, for, for being on the show. Definitely want to get you back on uh, and uh, maybe uh, talk a little bit more Western, a little bit more horror, a little bit more Star Wars. But yeah. for our audience, where can they get, uh, where can we get uh, your stuff coming up and your current stuff? Well, let's see. Um, you can go to cderekmiller.com for all your C. Derek Miller needs, whatever in the world those might be. And uh, you can also find me on pretty much everywhere on social media at Howl Growl Snarl, uh, even on uh, Slasher. I'm trying to convince the horror community to migrate from Facebook to Slasher. Uh, it's it's a pretty cool app. I have a lot of fun there. Uh, it's all it's. I don't know if you know anything about Slasher. It's uh, social media, but more horror themed. No, I had not heard of it. Yeah, uh, I I enjoy it. Um, I've been on it from the beginning. It's been out for a couple of years now, so I, I dig it. And I'm just I'm I'm just really trying to rally the troops at Facebook and bring them over to Slasher. Um, you can also find my stuff on Amazon, or uh, I keep everything on stock here in Dallas. Just hit me up, and I can get you uh, uh, personalized copies, whatever. And I'll Excellent. also. I'll be October 7th. I will be at, oh my God, what's it called? Next Chapter Con, Dalton, Georgia. So if anybody's near Dalton, Georgia, and uh, come by, see me, I'll give you a copy of Starving Zoe. So maybe you can throw up in your mouth too. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, and uh, can't wait to have you back. All right. In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes, they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 
20 watt amplifiers for under $50, hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80, guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes, get a glary. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song yet. David D.B. and Gretchen go to the movies. Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, just reminding you, we've got some really cool guitars. If you want to learn how to play guitar, if you want to give the gift of guitar, uh, we've got them. Go to the show notes, check out Glary, and go get yourself a guitar. It helps the show. We get like 5%, so check it out, Glary. And you can say, when you're playing your awesome Glary guitar, you can say, 5% of this is because of the People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Hey everyone, we are back. Sexy vampires. Who would have thought such a thing existed? Uh, <laughs> we watched 1983's *The Hunger*, and Gretchen, start us off on this, please. Well, this is um, the directorial debut of Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother, um, mm-hmm. who later went on to do like completely different films. I mean, but he did some really great ones like Top Gun, obviously, Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, The The Last Boy Scout. Um, He also did that movie uh, Man on Fire. I don't know if you ever saw that with um, Dakota Fanning and um, uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, thank you. That was incredible. So, I mean... Going back to like later, his his films were great. So this was kind of his his foray into it. It was a very artistic approach. Um, we're starting off with a story about um, vampires. Miriam Blaylock and her husband John are at a goth club, and Bauhaus is playing on yes. the stage. Which I don't know if I would be able to be like distracted by the hot like couple with the cronks that I would be so busy looking at like uh, my boy dancing. (laughs) 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 I mean, (laughs) but also the best part is that you have these flashes intermittently with like this research lab and you're seeing um, Dr. Sarah Roberts, who's a gerontologist and her colleagues and they're like dealing with the monkeys and there's monkeys attacking each other between Mm -hmm. the switchback to the two vampires um, bringing home a couple from the club. It's beautiful. It's probably like, I would say like one of those films that when I saw this film, I was, I was really, I was relatively young. I was probably in my tween years mm-hmm. and it um, had a, such a large impact on me. Like I had never seen a vampire film without vampires that had teeth. Um, it was my first time seeing like something like that wasn't just a standard um, heterosexual vampire couple or whatever, uh-huh. seeing that love triangle between like Miriam and Susan's, I mean, um, Sarah and um, John, like it was just, it was such an interesting story. 
Mm-hmm. And it really struck me. I think I that was part of probably part of the whole like, oh, I might actually not just be like a straight person. I might be into all the things. Sure. So yeah, I mean, it was um not to be too personal, but yeah, it's um this film has so many stunning qualities. I can barely find anything I find wrong with it, just because. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of has some dry sections. But I like the story that's pushing the 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 backstory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you guys? What did you all? So, can I go off on the left field, please? Go for it. Uh, sure. You know who the movie is dedicated to? Yeah. Frank Scott. Yep. You know what other movie is dedicated to Frank Scott? Who? Blade, Blade Runner, right? Exactly. Okay. So both these movies were made after Frank died. Frank is the third Scott brother. Yeah. Was not in entertainment. He was okay. he worked most of his life in the Merchant Marine. Okay. And probably got a form of very aggressive skin cancer just being out on deck all the time. Yeah. And Redley Redley describes him basically he was almost more like an uncle to them because he was 15 years older than Ridley. Mm-hmm. And when he died it really hit them. And Ridley opened up, especially more than the last couple of decades, than Tony did. But at the same time, so they started looking for projects. And and like I said, Ridley says that, you know, he went back to Blade Runner because of Frank's death. And huh. to me, to me, Blade Runner has always been this essay on how atheists mourn. Yeah. But I yeah. can see in both of these movies were um, basically how they dealt with the catharsis of dealing with, and Frank was, I think he was retired, but I think he was under his 50s. He he wasn't that old. Mm. And I think both of this, we see how, you know, the death of their brother affected their, what they chose and also the final product. Well, yeah, there's so much imagery, um, especially like the going into the end, not to be jumping ahead into the end, but there's, you know, the scenes where the decaying um, corpses are falling apart and their ashes and their um, remains are being scattered by um, doves. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that has a very like um, ending and rebirth um, look to it. Which is not how the book ends. No. The, Have you read the, the book? book? I'm familiar with the book. Oh, right on. The, and, and, and that's the other thing I may want to talk a little bit is about uh, uh, Whitley Stryber. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we do spoilers? Go for it. Yes. And, and it I'm, came out in 1983. Yeah. You're good. And, and so the book was, in fact, I think they even, the book was only out like a year or two before that. Before, oh, I, I thought the book, book hadn't been finished. Like when someone started. read the manuscript for The Hunger, and then it got greenlit, and the movie was written at the same time the book was. Is what I read. I, I think you're correct, but I think the book was actually like a year or two out before the movie was finished. Okay, all right. Um, and so. You know, to me, and and this is where we get to say David is crazy. Mm-hmm. So the 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 movie came out what nineteen eighty three, right? Yeah. 
I think the book was published in 1981. Okay, yeah, yeah. To some of us, Whitley Stryber is going to always be associated with communion. That's immediately who I think of when I think of um, Whitley Stryber. I think of the, the communion book. And and I'm not going to – and you know what? I honestly believe that Stryber believes something happened to him. I'm not going to say it was aliens. I don't think he says it was aliens. And this came out two years before he said it's the original contact. Mm-hmm. But at least me, it's hard to not watch this with this knowledge and think of them as aliens. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the V word never comes up. Yes. They yeah. never say the V word. Yeah, nobody says vampires ever. And, and, and in the book, she is this almost Lovecraftian pre-entity that predates humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that. So just so, that's just kind of... I Isn't think, she Lilith in the book? I think that that was in the third book that revealed as her persona. And, oh. and again, I hadn't read the books. I just read things that Stryber said. Yeah. Mm. So... Okay, that's my left field. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I, like so much like silly trivia about this, and I don't even know how much of this is real. Like some sure. of the stuff they say, like Ridley Scott was actually set to do the film, but w- with David Bowie on board, he was like, nah, he passed on it, which I find, I don't think that, I don't know if that's real or not. I, f- I feel like that's probably like, you know, somebody's weird and somebody's like random interpretation of some kind of interview back in the 80s or whatnot. Yeah. And you and I read the same thing and had the same thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I heard the reason why it went to Tony was because Tony wanted so badly to do interview with a vampire. Oh, really? And that he had so much interest in doing that or a vampire movie that the production company came to him because of that. I kind of think that's maybe a little bit more believable. That feels right. What about you, DB? What did you think of this film? My thoughts. Okay. So <clears throat> this is gracious. one of those. Yeah. This is one of those films that I've always seen little bits and pieces of, but it's like I've never got to sit down and watch it for some reason. And it's like, oh, this movie. Okay. All right. That's what those clips are from. That's when David Bowie's dressed like this. This is the Susan Sarandon movie where she has the really short hair. That's something, you know, Mm. takes place between Rocky Horror and the next time everyone remembers her, Thelma and Louise. Um, and, And everyone looks so damn beautiful. Just everyone looks so gorgeous. Everyone is just like filmed in this kind of like, dreamy way it's mm-hmm. like i don't know doesn't it remind you of and i know this is gonna because i mean <laughs> is it legend is also shot by ridley scott right yes yeah so doesn't this have i don't know if they're using the same filmographer or um, director of photography um i didn't look that deep into the meta but sure. when you say that it has a dreamy quality it reminds me of 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 legend or maybe yeah. it's just that time period of film 
where um, whatever lenses people were using had kind of a slight bevel to it. Yeah. So yeah. everything feels like to me like I'm I'm a I'm an observer through a fishbowl. Yeah, and and the worst of times, visually, it looks like Supergirl. Oh, oh, I, I, I have not seen Supergirl, so I'm gonna take your word on it. But you know, the the '80s Supergirl, and I love that it, movie. I I know you love that movie, and I'm starting to think: Do you love movies that they film in London for New York, or <laughs> maybe? There's, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, the thing where it's like, it's supposed to be America, but it's filmed in London is like something that I think gives it so much of its kind of like charm and character, like for the, the scene, the scenery and the setting around them. Everything is like, I don't know if they had like prop designers or, I mean, if they had a props department or if they're just like, all right, we're going to film in someone's really nice house. Don't mess it up too much, but um, uh, the 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 music I thought was amazing. The, the, oh my the gosh, right? Cinematography is so good, and the music is so good, and the acting is so good. But also at the same time, this feels kind of like when when there's a lighting effect or a sound effect that you're like, wait a minute, did they steal that sound effect from Houseu? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> It's just like you'll have a cheesy sound effect or a really bizarrely cheesy lighting effect. It's like you guys just set up a spotlight in a room and had a bunch of people dressed crusty come out. <laughs> That's I mean, but also it's like it's so nice not to see CGI. It's so nice not yeah. to see like stupid morphine CGI face stuff with vampires or not vampires or and nothing was over explained. They didn't like go way overboard it's it's almost kind of like i don't know maybe it's a scott brothers thing of not over explaining stuff at times and then over explaining stuff at other times <laughs> but i don't know it's it's such a gorgeous like sexy movie and it's like i don't know it everyone is I don't want to say everyone looks the best they ever look because that's not true. These are like your your three leads are like three insanely attractive people. Gorgeous. And it's oh, like right? they could have filmed. I mean, I, I honestly feel uh, feel like Tony Scott could have filmed anything with these people and that soundtrack and these scenes. They could have been like, oh, they're bank robbers. Oh, they're accountants in a love triangle. Oh, they work at a pizza parlor. You know, I mean, well, maybe not that last one. Um, but it's 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 like you could do a lot of stuff with just the components for this movie. I don't know if it would come out the same, and uh, there 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 wouldn't be vampirism and whatnot. But it's 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 like all the all all the ingredients for the soup are just amazing. It's like they even got Willem Dafoe in there. Yeah. Yeah, he's like <laughs> tiny though. I mean, like he has like you would have blink and you'd miss his his character. Oh, I know, but that's the secret ingredient. <laughs> also, funny thing is, like, um, so you know the the guy who plays um Susan Sarandon's love interest in the movie? Yeah. The yeah. the dude, her fellow doctor or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show um Sequel. Sequel Shock oh, Treatment. Shock treatment. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I haven't seen that in forever. Oh yeah, it's not super good, but no, you know, it's, <laughs> it's fun. No, I have to say the soundtrack really ha- also was one of those things that was like so, a part of that again, part of that tween influence for me. Like that, I musically like knew where I was going musically. Obviously, I was meant to be a goth girl. Mm-hmm. I um, that song "Fun Time" from Iggy Pop, like, mm-hmm. was funny enough. Was actually comp- I think was like. Um, written by or composed or produced by um, David Bowie. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's like that song with the roller skating Mm -hmm. and the guy getting like attacked by David Bowie's uh, by John Blaylock, like as he's aging out, he's trying to trying to save himself. He um, kills this guy roller skating to Iggy pop fun time. Yeah, man, that song like, sticks into your brain and I like I just replay it every once in a while I'll be like phone time like seriously I love it I love it I love like Bela Lugosi and I loved all the um the beautiful like uh the flowers duet that he did with the daughter with a little girl Mm -hmm. or a young woman I should say yeah yeah Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but to me, I think it was very influenced by the ethos of early MTV. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, it had yeah. A, no. Like a music video look to it. it. Exactly. I mean, what I want to like... say is it. Yeah. No, I agree totally. It looks like a music video. It feels like a music video, and I feel like the low parts in it is like the parts where they didn't have like music video stuff. It's like okay, it's gonna be a little low. Maybe it's like one of those slow music videos or something. But it I just always felt like it was a different music video. <laughs> one of the things also I loved about David Bowie's acting in this film is that he was kind of like um, it seems like he was kind of revisioning the character they played like from the the Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, he okay. had that kind of esoteric alien like. But he was also a predator, so yeah. he was always looking for the next meal and whatnot. Unlike his character in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But So, oh, one thing oh. that I've heard, too, is that he was so dedicated to the role that there was a week that they shot in New York. Uh-huh, yes. That's when he did the old age things. Yes. And he would go out to the George Washington Bridge and for hours... Scream out punk, punk lyrics. Songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get that raspy voice. I yeah. Wish that. I wish somebody had filmed that because I would pay to watch David Bowie scream at the George Washington Bridge, you know, 80s punk rock songs. Yeah. And then let's talk about Catherine Devineau. I mean, man, <laughs> she was gorgeous in yes. this movie. She's still oh. gorgeous. I mean, I yeah. don't know if she, when she, if she's passed away or if she's still around, but she, um, wow. Actually, she just did a movie, it looks like. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, I would, I like Susan Sarandon a little bit more. Well, that's she's, <laughs> I, I mean, she's that's super me. hot. That's, that's I mean, me. uh, and but no, ab- absolutely, that there is. They had great chemistry for them actually not having any chemistry at all. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently there's a rumor that um, Susan Sarandon had like an affair with David Bowie on this film. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's real or not, but. Uh, eh. what, I also I mean, I, what also is that, you know, in the book, and correct me because I'm that it was not consensual. 
Yeah. That Sarah was drugged. And it's Susan Sarandon that said, no, we need yep. to make this consensual because damn. Yeah. And, you know, and it absolutely changes the movie for better. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Did you hear that 80s comedies? <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that 90s comedies and horror movies? <laughs> I did like, I mean, I did always think that the ending kind of was a little like muddled. Um, yeah. Because you've got to get this impression that Susan's Randon's character dies, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then at the end, you see this beautiful, young, gilded young woman with long blonde hair. And she gets a kiss from this older red-haired woman. And you're like, ooh. And you realize she's still alive. And then you it cuts to where uh, Miriam's coffin and the screaming. So that was forced on by the studio. That was what? That was forced by the studio, the end. I could see that. That's why I made it so convoluted. Yeah. So so in the original ending, the, the Scott, is that they, they die. But yeah. the studio was so wanted a sequel that they forced him to add that. Oh, well, I'm glad this didn't have any sequels. I like that it's carried it. I mean, I'm a big fan of vampire movies that aren't like fangs and like everybody going. I yeah. hate that shit. <laughs> I do. I mean, I liked, don't get me wrong. I love like Bram Stoker's Dracula, like for the Francis uh -huh. Ford Coppola one. That's one of my favorites. And I love the hammer stuff, but sure. it's so silly and mundane whereas this to me is just poetry okay i get that i get that i mean i personally make hissing noises when i go outside just because <laughs> i think it's hilarious or when open someone opens the shades and sun comes in i'll i'll do the you know claw up my fingers cover my face and go <sighs> but yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad that the, this wasn't that kind of vampire movie, but this falls into my top three of vampire movies from my youth. You've mm -hmm. got The Hunger, you've got Lost Boys, and you've got Near Dark. And oh, yeah. that I Near feel Dark's like great. just kind of like a trifecta of modern vampire movies. No mm -hmm. one runs around in capes. No one is like, good evening. I mean, there's there's none of the uh, universal or hammer stuff in it. And that they walk around its... in the sun. Yeah. yeah. And it's the vampire's point of view. Yes. It's yeah. not the victim. It's not the hunters. It's the vampire's point of view. Yes. And that's so cool. And I think that's one reason why, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it's like the older films, especially the hammer films, you have all these, this like beautiful pageantry and beautiful, gorgeous outfits and hair and every, it's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's nice. And you know, the vampires do their vampire thing. It's very classic. Uh, it's very Bram Stoker. And then in the seventies and the eighties, you get the dark vampires that are like, I live in a city. This is my story. And you even get a few fake one, fake out ones here and there. But I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. I, I, I like The Hunger. It's it's a good movie. And so so real quickly before we wrap up. Yeah, there is kind of a there is kind of a sequel. OK, The Hunger, the TV series. Oh, oh. yeah. But it was like they weren't even the same characters. No, but yeah. but so this is 
so this is I'll tell you so the reason why I like Hunger the TV series and I've only seen like one or two mm-hmm. is that they take one one of my favorite vampire short stories and make it a story. Oh. Uh, which is they did it the double but I think it was originally uh, I can't remember the original title but where basically this woman becomes a vampire and her soul dies and her soul was reincarnated a hundred years later and she encounters basically uh, the reincarnation of her soul that she's living in their body. Oh, wow. It, it, and it's got, and and it's, um, uh, Lori Petty plays the, the woman. Huh. Again, different end, different ending from the short story. Yeah. yeah. But to me, it's like John is the host. Okay. He's sort of the raw. I mean, because it's it's it, it it's David Bowie, but they don't say it's John. But it's almost like John is the, you know, the Rod Sterling char- Sterling character. He it, it seems to me that that was supposed to be the tie that they couldn't say. Mm, I see. It's been a long time since I've seen that series. I think it was like one of those USA ones, like I saw briefly. 1997. I was busy. Uh, <laughs> you yes. had things to do. I had things to do. And, and I don't know why, but I saw only like tours. But I, I saw that one with Lori Petty, and I just, I loved it. And I found the short story later, and it was just, I thought amazing. Huh. I think I watched it like when I was living in New Orleans. I don't know. Yeah. Wild times. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I mean, I feel like this film um, deserves its cult status. It deserves oh, all the love it gets. Yeah. Would you? Oh yeah, no. This oh, this, this this movie is a cult classic. This movie, it 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 falls into that category of cult classics that's actually good. It's not mm-hmm. a so bad it's good kind of. It's, yeah. it's like I'll never I, okay. pick those. Yeah. It's like I like some of those, but I'll, I'll never pick those for us for my choices for films because I feel like it, there's so much good stuff to talk about. Exactly. That exactly. needs love, and people don't don't always know about it. Like yeah. I think that's probably why on my list I also have this movie and The Addiction, we'll, which we'll talk about at some other point. But it's another one of those vampire films that um, nobody has fangs, nobody says vampire. I don't think mm-hmm. I, they yeah. may say vampire in The Addiction, but yeah. And the thirst. This, have you seen that one? No, I have not seen it. I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen. Yeah, it. it's also really, really good. It's it's that's a it's a tough watch, but it's good. Yeah. So, Dave, this is a question you might be able to answer, uh, Gretchen as well. Is this on the list of like British video nasties, or is this 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 too tame? I don't think so, because I think it only got an R rating. I think there was some question about them having an X rating because of the lesbianism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the gore doesn't get it. I mean, I think David Bowie said it was delightfully gory or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've never seen it on the list of video nasties, excuse me. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I could, but because of the uh, lesbian aspects and the vampirism, I could imagine nineteen early nineteen eighties uh, British government being like, "Oh, that's got, ooh, and it's got David Bowie in it. We can't have people seeing this." <laughs> All right, okay, so 
yeah, yeah, that's that's it for the hunger. I mean, I I feel like we could talk about it for a really long time, but the podcast isn't that long. <laughs> and you, our audience, is like 1997 Gretchen. You got things to do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So to not hold hold you up any further, dear listeners, uh, I, your humble narrator and uh, co-host, I uh, want to let you know that next week we are going to be talking about two terrible old men, not one, but two, uh, the terrible old man in Kingsport, Massachusetts, and a burnt up weenie by the name of Fred from, I don't know what town he's from, but he does come from Elm Street. We're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Is that Dream Warriors or is that? That's the Dream Master. The Dream Master. Yes, yes. Wow, I get two picks in a row. Woo! Yeah, well, I, I scrambled them all up. So, yeah, you get two picks in a row. <laughs> this is and then after pick. that, yeah. I believe it's one of Dave's picks. And then after that, it's one of my picks. And then it's that one that we all decided on. Sweet. <laughs> Well, looking about. forward to talking about this movie. It's again one of those like developmental year films for Gretchen. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. We'll talk nice. about the horrible old man, the video game. Oh yeah. Oh. Yep, yep. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 That was a good episode. Yeah, that was fun. All right. I'm just cracking up that it came up to my my picks twice in a row. I'm like, oh, got to. Oh yeah. I haven't watched Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four in a minute. It's also it's again it's like one of my like favorites because it's so you know me and my weird sequels. I just really like this film. It's um and I'm I'm gonna come up with some content about it of course, but yeah yeah it's a good one. Very cool. Very cool. All right, y'all. Yeah. Um, hey, thanks for sharing this movie with us. I hadn't yeah. seen it in a while. Oh, I'm so glad you got to see it in its entirety. Yeah, and it's it's like I'd only seen bits and pieces of it, and the time that I did sit down to watch it, I kept falling asleep, and everyone's like, you kept falling asleep. And I'm like, oh. Because um, I was like, that movie didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. I will see y'all next week. Okay. All right, see you then. Okay, talk to you later. Over to you, and if you need um, oh, the interviews again, let me know. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, and I'm I just watched the trailer for Blue Beetle. Yeah. Have you seen that yet, Dave? No. Gretchen, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite DC characters, and it looks like Lovecraftian horror, just like. Him being introduced to the Beatle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fun. But no, yeah. I saw Barbie again. I saw the Barbie movie twice now. Oh, cool. I still yeah. haven't seen it. Oh, my gosh. You got to see it, you guys. Seriously, it's so much fun. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. It's Sarah fun. really likes it. It's also heartfelt. And, like, I, I don't know. There's just a few. There's, like, this one phrase that really stands out in the movie. And it's um, the ghost of Ruth Ruth Handler, who is the creator of Barbie. Mm-hmm. She um, is t- talking to Barbie. And she says, mother, stand still so their daughters can see how far they've come. And I was like, <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> and, the, you know, being Ken enough, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> or Knuff. 
anyways, <laughs> you guys have a good week. I will. You too. See, I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Yeah, All right. Talk to you Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Labor okay. Day. All right. Bye. 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 I'll get this right over to you. Sounds good.